VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Joining us today are The Times Chief Sports Writer, Matt Dickinson, The Sunday Times Reporter, Rebecca Myers, and The Times Football Statistician, Bill Edgar. Coming up, we'll discuss where the power lies in North London before Sunday's big derby and take a look at Alexis Sanchez's Premier League legacy. But there's only one place to start this week, and that is the tragic demise of Bury and the existential crisis facing the Football League. This week, Bury were expelled from the EFL, and Bolton Wanderers also flirted with extinction before finally being sold. How these two proud old clubs got into a mess is uh, not a straightforward question. Matt, you've written an excellent piece in, in the Times today, which highlights the difficulty in protecting lower league clubs like these because essentially there are more troubled clubs than potentially decent owners out there. Um, that's a huge a huge barrier to overcome, no matter what regulations change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, there are, we, you know, and I've, I've certainly traced through a few of them, huge holes um, in EFL regulations, whether that's to do with the type of owners who come in or, you know, financial fair play, which obviously, if, if it worked, would make, you know, for a lot less um, loss-making clubs. But the fact is that, you know, there are, um, as Martin Ziegler um, traced a few months ago, about, you know, a substantial majority of of lower league clubs do lose money and this is the sort of I think the crucial context against which this all has to be set you know I think there's a lot of emotion understandably wrapped up in the stories of Bolton and especially Berry being expelled but yeah we also have to you know say understanding that we have to look be sort of quite hard-headed about the this broad context which is those those lower leagues are losing you know hundreds of millions of pounds every year and you know, if you want to attract, yeah, well, that that for a start is unlikely to attract wise and prudent people. Um, is going to attract either people, you know, who've got money to burn, and how many of those are out there, or as we've seen, chances. Yeah, I mean, it was 52 of the 72 clubs in the football league ended 2017-18 in the red. More than 10% of clubs failed to pay their players on time at least once. Eight clubs were issued with winding up petitions, which is almost half as many as as were in the pre- the previous five years. This is really a bigger issue than than two clubs alone, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I think this country can sustain 
92 professional clubs and in fact a few more in the I'm uh, glad to hear you say that because people have been raising this question and it's kind of making my blood boil I'll be honest I mean but it ultimately comes down to uh, how many fans are there how many people will will turn up at the weekend what are they prepared to pay and is that enough for for a a living for the players as you know down to league two and into the national league I think uh, you know it can sustain a hundred now the problem is that uh, you get one club that decides to spend too much goes beyond its means and then other clubs think oh no we've, we've got to they they, they uh, follow suit because they think well, we've got to keep up otherwise we won't we'll, won't have any success and then if the, the club the, the initial club spends beyond its means either the gamble pays off and they have success which is unfair on their rivals who haven't gambled or they uh, or they all explodes and they um, go bust you know as happened with uh, Berry. So, I mean, it's, it's tricky. We really have to uh, to have set some sort of strict spending limits or, or just some sort of boundaries so that clubs will have to uh, act within their means. I mean, if it's just 100 uh, companies all trying to sell the best uh, baked beans or something, nobody cares who, you know, if 99 go out of business. But, um, Absolutely. Uh, but you know, football clubs, they've got to be... Uh, protected of course my worry, my, my, I, mean, I, I think it is a sort of quite there's a fundamental fork in the road isn't there about sort of you know do we just keep tightening up rules or do we accept that you know they're going to be you know a lot of clubs that are sort of you know we, we hope are, are sort of competently run or close to it and, and a few that will you know end up in, in a predicament I, I mean my worry about the sort of endless tightening of regulations is that is the the ability to do it. I mean, the EFL are struggling um, colossally just with the, you know the regulations as they are. The the leadership is really not uh, well. Successive leaderships um, are not sort of trusted or don't have, certainly don't have a lot of credibility with the clubs. Um, you know, we just look at the regulations as they stand and the impossibility of enforcing them. I mean, as I've yeah, highlighted just one today. This, you know, you got some of the biggest clubs: Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Villa. You know, this lease, you know, sell the ground to their own owners and lease it back, which is just, you know. Yeah, there's it, always loopholes and everything. Well, it's just taking the Mickey out of the rules completely, yeah. isn't it? And, and actually, it's dangerous. It's because you know, the minute you divorce the ownership of a ground from the club, that potentially sets up, you know, as we've seen in quite a few cases, sets up a massive issue for the future if that owner ever decides to wash their hands of it. So, you know, you've actually got a situation where EFL rules are encouraging something that's basically pretty bonkers um, and, you know, recklessly dangerous for for clubs. So, you know, there is clearly a very good case to be made for tightening regulations, but the enforcing of it, that's a whole other story. Well, maybe come to, what, a few kind of of the mooted solutions are in a moment but Rebecca first of all you you were telling me off just before we came on that you see some parallels between the sort of financial precariousness uh, in the football league to the women's game yeah absolutely and and it's fascinating for me to watch obviously as primarily covering the women's beat um we were already seeing stuff like this start to happen in the women's game the women's game is obviously you know, comparatively um, quite young. Um, It's undergoing a huge amount of change and there will be a lot of teething pains there. But we've seen clubs like Yeovil Town obviously went under. Um, The Doncaster Rovers Bells have had huge financial problems. Um, 
not in just resulting from, but partly to do with basically being removed from the top tier um, by the FA because they couldn't make these new financial requirements that were that were necessary. And I think it's fascinating because these are the legacy clubs. The women's game, a lot of the clubs don't have great legacies. They don't have great followings in their area yet because they're new. Manchester United, for example, has been set up essentially as a new, you know, a new offset of the men's side. Um, but Don, Donny Rover Bells have been going since the 60s. They've got an incredible mm-hmm. following, incredible supporters. Um, and they, you know, they've they've been taken out of the top tier. They're now playing in much much lower leagues with real financial difficulties. They're struggling a lot with their fan base because of that. And the women's game is losing clubs that actually bring the fans. And going back to what Bill said just now, ultimately football is about the gate. Football is about people coming to watch a game. And we've got so far from that. It's astonishing how far we've got from that. And all of these conversations about this kind of level of debt. Ultimately, if you aren't getting your fans through the door to pay to watch your game you know you've got a big problem you can just a quick glance through some of the lower leagues attendance figures there are plenty of clubs there that are going to have problems in the very near future yeah can I just add I mean I was surprised I I mean if I knew it I'd forgotten it that um, last year the uh, EFL clubs had uh, 60 high of attendances uh, almost what was it 18.4 million so it's you know I mean that's Higher since 1958-59, so you know. I know sometimes there can be a little quirk if you have a Villa and a Sunderland or whatever, but it's it's a it's a startling statistic nonetheless. And again, sort of further context to the Berry thing that it's you know there is this context of of a lot of clubs losing money, and say is is regulation the answer? Well, the, let's look at a few of the things you you touched upon a few in your your piece, Matt. Obviously, the first, the starting point every, everyone talks about is the owners and directors test, which essentially at the moment means if you you have a, an unspent conviction, if you're not disqualified as a director, you're not a criminal, then you can pass essentially. Uh, and as we saw, Steve Steve Dale didn't even have to provide proof of funds, which really was a catastrophic error. So that's the, that's the starting point. But there's other things have been been mooted about things like potential owners have to issue a bond which would cover any defaults in the future, uh, a salary cap and the most sort of uh, out there um, suggestion has been an independent regulator. How how likely or plausible do you feel any of these things are Matt? Um, independent regulator, yeah, my worry about that would just be, you know, really is it, you know, it going to be equipped to troll, you know, I've read lots of pieces today, you know, I, you know which I, I'm not sort of just missing out of hand. I understand why people are airing the idea of sort of a watchdog going through all the books, but again, you know, really, are we going to, you know, is, is anyone going to dedicate, the, who's paying for that? Who's going to dedicate the manpower? Who's going to pay for, you know, this police force to go to be sort of on the back of every club when the EFL is out of its depth already. Well, it's been suggested um, that the FA would take over this. Well, Certainly, so a lot of supporters again, on that. Again, well, that's, again, probably from a lot of people who spend most of their lives you know, slacking off the FA's competence to do what, you know, the FA is already sort of, there's an argument to be said that it, it, you know, it's got more than enough on its plate that it can handle. I mean, I think, you know, if we're we're talking, I mean, the one one I uh, aired is, you know, which I think is in some ways to sort of get to the nub of the issue is this sort of idea of a protected bond. I mean, I think, as you say, the key problem with with a couple of te- the takeover of Bolton in 2016, I think it was, and the takeover of Berry last December was that the new owners weren't equipped. You know, they didn't have, you know, they were 
you know, taking over trouble clubs and, you know, were drowning very, very quickly themselves before they, was, you know, couldn't, they couldn't swim to keep afloat. And now the idea of a protected bond, you know, that you, you have to show funds to guarantee not just the next week and the next month, but the, you know, the length of, say, of players' contracts. If, those are, you know, if there are three-year contracts, you've got to sort of you know, put that protected money there is, you know, a sort of logical, simple answer to that. The big but comes in where we started. You know, there is a, you know, these are loss-making clubs generally. There is a, um, a lack of credible owners. I spoke to someone involved with, Be- with Bolton who said that, you know, there's no num- any number of people ringing them up saying, you know, can I have a word about buying a club? But the amount of credible ones, well, there was one that was, yeah. they've sold to. So, if you enforce a rule like that, protected bond, how many is that? You know, how many is that going to? How many is that going to leave who are interested and stroke able to buy a loss-making business? One other thing, Bill, I was wanting to touch on is, and they were kind of reporting of this. It seems like it seemed certainly to me that in the last couple of weeks, when Bury and Bolton's peril became so clear that everyone sort of with this has become a huge issue. But this has been happening at Bury and Bolton for many, many years, and it's taken this. You know, it's taken this for us to have this this discussion. Mm. I think. I mean, I'd say, I'd say the times are probably better than most. And that they send me to a game every Saturday in the football league. Most most newspapers don't do that. I mean, the Guardian, David Conn has been is peerless in this. He's he he investigates these sorts of things on a regular basis, but. Do you think that we have any sort of responsibility in the way that this has been uh, this well, is covered? We certainly should highlight any whenever there's a, a problem. I, I guess the one thing is there's been complacency, really, because so often um, over the years, uh, clubs have seemingly been in terrible trouble, but they've survived. However, it's however they've done that, and so. It, it almost sounds like crying wolf, you know. You, you hear there's a club in trouble, you think, yeah. oh, they'll be fine. Somebody will come along at uh, five to midnight and it'll be okay. And, um, when uh, ITV Digital collapsed in 2002, uh, the, um, the Football League's uh, clubs. Uh, income stream from TV suddenly disappeared and so many people said well third of football league clubs are at risk of closing now you know this is widely held opinion but uh, but it didn't happen they sort of got by somehow there's such the will to to keep the clubs going is such that it just doesn't you know <laughs> there's always something but yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess the danger is once one happens and, and if it's sort of uh, if people think oh well Barry have gone and then uh, another couple Macclesfield or Oldham or something then it becomes the the norm then you know it could quickly uh, you know uh, be like a pack of cards or, yeah. or full Rebecca you've touched upon already the sort of the fact that football is about going supporters going to watch a game how important is it is it for football clubs to sort of engage and involve supporters and and sort of have a bit, bit more transparency really in, in these these situations yeah absolutely i mean it's really important i'm not sure that's suddenly going to change <laughs> um i think even just you know everything bill was saying just now how you know how much needs to happen before we actually make proper sweeping systematic changes i don't know that there's going to be any but you know you saw it the scenes on tv of all the berry fans they couldn't have done any more than than they did but they were left in the dark for so long even you know i had friends who were there reporting on the ground who 
were essentially, you know, really popular with the fans because the journalists were relaying half the information. Yeah. That should not be the case. You know, this this is a community club that's incredibly important to the local people and they've been left in the dark. And, uh, you know, I think it was actually in Matt's piece that he said so much of this, you know, supporters have been saying this for years. Report, supporters yeah. have been raising these kind of concerns yeah. and have just been ignored. And so... It's not just, you know, the the clubs don't need to just be transparent for the benefit of the fans. They could benefit a huge amount from just hearing them out. You know, these people have followed that club for, you know, 40, 50 years, some of them. They would have a lot of insight into what's going wrong, what they see as problems. Um, but you, you've got management and, and ownership that just aren't listening at all. Matt, we're, we're hearing about lots of, you know, there, there's lots of conversations about this now about perhaps... The pyramid can't sustain 72 professional clubs talking about B teams, uh, you know, regionalised leagues. There seems to be a lot of talk about everything except, you know, everything seems to be on the table except the the discussion about narrowing the gulf between the Premier League and the rest, which really I, I can't see. Well, while that still exists, I can't see any way that, that the pyramid is not going to continue to crumble like this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly part, again, a, a sort of key part of the discussion, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, if we could, if we were, you know, if you were the Tsar of English football and you had the power to sort of recast everything, you know, you wouldn't start here, would you? I mean, uh, you know, that sort yeah. of absolutely critical decision around um, 91, 92 to set up the Premier League um, and the FA sort of basically sort of washing its hands of, of the whole issue was 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 fundamental i mean it's you know you know we can look at the premier league and all its success uh and you know admire it but you you know you as you say the gulf you you would not create that gulf will, willfully no. um and that was that was the sort of absolute fork in the road moment um where where that started and it, you know say if you if you were a yeah, god of, of of English football for the day. You do something, do something about it now. Without that power, I mean, how you get the clubs? You know, the, the Premier League. I can assure you, were quick on the phone in the last sort of day or two, just to sort of, uh, you know, say that, that that they're, you know, point out what their parachute funding is and and how much they um, give down to lower leagues and how much more that is than you know in comparable countries. Yeah. Um, but it's creating, you know, the championship where I watch a lot of football um, is, uh, as you all know very well, is is a sort of madcap league because it now has sort of, you know, clubs plummeting down who have sort of armed with that parachute money and some go into death spirals and others, you know, are equipped to bounce back because they have you know, three or four times the turnovers of others that are coming up from League One. And there's a sort of chaos, a sort of frenetic chaos about it, which which encapsulates the problem. But I don't. Again, you're asking me how that how is that going to change? How is it going to improve? Uh, I'm scratching my head because you know the, the Premier League clubs, in their own sort of desperation, are not about to to get more generous, uh, if generous is the word. So yes, if if you're asking me how it's going to be fixed, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I, I, I'm I'm probably about to jump out the window because um, yeah, I, yeah, it's not. Uh, we can all sit there and and say this is what we'd love to happen, um, but uh, enforcing it, given all the this different tensions and pressures, is 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 blinking hard. I spoke. I interviewed the the Stevenage owner Phil Wallace a couple of weeks ago and. 
you kind of laid it out in, in black and white how difficult it is for 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 clubs in the lower leagues. He said he's, he's basically exhausted all income revenues, um, and this is a guy who has thought outside the box. He's he's raised kind of uh, capital with share offerings and uh, a bond to to redevelop the, uh, a stand at the ground, um, and he's he just said there's nothing else I can do to to raise crowds to increase my incomings and if I pay any less to players I go backwards and I, and I fall out the league and you lose a million pound of funding so that's the sort of that's the tension that, that, that we have here there's no and that is from the Premier League really because everyone is trying to shoot for the moon to compete or to progress or even to stand still it's not uh, there's, there doesn't really seem to be any any straightforward solution to any of this at all oh, it's, it's um, also it's amazing how pervasive the idea of just this kind of trickle down money is I think we still just kind of we rely quite heavily on this narrative that the money in the Premier League somehow finds its way down eventually we, we know that doesn't happen in any walk of life really and I've been I think I've been quite surprised in, in the general coverage the Premier League I think have got off you know reasonably scot free I agree everything seems to be on the table except yeah. tackling the perverse inequality essentially yeah. between the top league and the rest of us and it I mean, we don't want to get too deep, but it kind of mirrors. We're talking about left behind football clubs and left behind towns. Like I visit them most weekends, and it's striking that, like, this, uh, and especially in the current sort of political landscape, that this is happening in these towns. And and some people have sort of poo-pooed the idea that this is a, a northern towns thing as well. But it, it's certainly happening less to clubs around around the London area. So I think really that's that's the first place that the first area that we need to to discuss above yeah. any other and some of the checks can be harder on Premier League clubs which seems absurd given that you know the money you need to buy a Premier League club you've got that money you know generally speaking a lot of these you know these owners come with significant portfolios to the table if you're buying you know, it seems much easier to buy an EFL club and it absolutely shouldn't be because they're the ones that you can run into the ground much faster and they're the ones with probably much more serious consequences on local communities who rely very heavily on, you know, just the basic quotes in the papers today, like, what am I going to do on a Saturday? Where am I going to take, yeah. you know, my son? You said, you know, su supporters saying, well, my dad was buried. These kind of things, like, this means so much to these people and, you know, I just think owners have no idea. Matt, last one. Henry Winter wrote like a sort of bit of a blueprint in, in the paper today as well the first first point of, of call for him is the is the owners and directors test if there was one thing that you have to start with to, to try and sort of have any influence and effect and making sure this doesn't happen again what would it be for you? Um, well I suspect you know I mean the proof of proof of funds I'll go back to that point I made I mean I, I, you know I, I think in in Realist, the real world. I don't think the you know the idea of a sort of protected bond for three years of money is going to um, stack up because they say that they'll be terrified it's going to scare off what what sort of buyers they do have. But I think I think the you know the, the fact that someone took you know that, that they had a rule that isn't even enforced. I mean that's you know that's that's how yeah. sort of sad it was with the Berry situation is that you know someone bought a club sort of you know before they'd even sort of woken up to it and they didn't they weren't going to retrospectively say oh you failed this rule you know sorry you can't I mean the, the, you know, the deal was done the paperwork was signed but yeah so yeah I, I guess I'd start there the idea that you have rules that aren't aren't actually sort of actively enforced um, shows what a pickle we're in okay thanks for that Matt the train is now approaching junction at platform 
record. Next stop, Road Station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. While Burry were being expelled... The Premier League wheels kept on spinning and Alexis Sanchez is on his way to Inter Milan after earning more than £11,000 per minute played at Manchester United. United will be paying around £5.4 million towards the salary of a player they are sending on loan, which is about twice the figure it would have taken to rescue Bury. Bill, does this highlight pretty much everything that's wrong with the modern game or, or is that too simplistic? Um, well, I guess when he came to Manchester United, he was at the very top of the the football tree, pretty much the top. He was uh, by far Arsenal's best player, and uh, you know Manchester City wanted him. Uh, I mean, he could almost taken his pick on any club. Um, so he naturally, um, the players at the very top will, will get absolute fortunes because because there's so much interest in football around the world. People willing to pay money to watch, to buy merchandise, to buy sponsors goods in theory to buy TV subscriptions it all goes to the very top so uh, so there's this an absolute gulf inevitably between the, the very top and the likes of Berry at the bottom um, and but as I say in theory Sanchez would be uh, worth this if he was playing at his best for Manchester United yeah. and winning them trophies but of, of course he's uh, I mean he's offered practically zero I mean it would have been better to uh, just um Put uh, put somebody in from the youth team, you know, <laughs> as it as it turns out. I mean, that's not to say it's. Uh, I mean, it's hard really to say. Well, that definitely shows he's a lazy so and so, and how can he suddenly become so bad? I mean, I, I mean, obviously he's had lots of injuries. That's going to be uh, that's a huge frustration. Then you take time to get back up to speed, and then he wasn't being playing regularly, and his manager Jose Mourinho was slagging him off in public so uh, and who knows he may have had other personal problems yeah. I, I don't know yeah. there's a lot to consider and um, it's hard to know however, however what you can say is that yes it's extraordinary how much money Manchester United paid for almost nothing yeah, yeah. Rebecca I mean it's hard to forget that he was one of the best players in the Premier League when he joined Manchester United do you think sometimes we are too quick I think Bill suggested that he, he has had some sort of personal problems and um, injuries. Do you think it's we're sometimes a bit too quick to forget about the human aspect of of these guys? They're not just sort of rich mercenaries. They actually have issues in their lives as well, and it's it's not always straightforward. 
Yeah, maybe. No, that's a no <laughs> I've then. I've not got buckets of sympathy, I have to okay. admit. I think if I was um, getting, what was it, 6.5 million a goal or uh, my favourite one, which was 400 grand a dribble, um, <laughs> then there's just this graphic in the time today, then yeah, I would, um, I don't know. No, I think I think we're quick to forget maybe the nuances um, and, and sort of the path that brought him. You know, he didn't just wake up one day and decide to be grumpy and yeah. it all went downhill. I think... Um, you know, one of the interesting things that I've seen that's kind of cropped back up this week are these stories that we saw about actually warnings from Arsenal. Like they did mention, you know, he is a bit of a lone wolf. He's a bit of a sort of sullen guy. He's not necessarily a team player. He He's a bit sort of a guy who maybe wants the game to be about him. They, they mentioned this. This was all, you know, it wasn't completely unknown. It wasn't... Um, they were almost virtues in the way he played at Arsenal and exactly. now he's kind of completely gone full circle. Exactly. And I saw a piece today actually which was like, you know, oh, Sanchez is best when he's smiling. You've got to keep the playful. Like, okay, yes, true, but... I think what you've literally got is a case of managers who are willing to pander to that and managers who aren't. And yes, okay, that's it. You know, everyone has their own sort of stance on what they want from a player and whether you should pander to a particular individualistic, highly sort of stylized player who wants to, you know, come off the pitch and know that that game was about them. But obviously he he's not, what I would say this suggests he's not massively adaptable. And when things didn't start to go his way or there wasn't a manager who was happy to let him smile all day and, and you know, and take the, the limelight, then those things change. But these aren't, you know, completely new things. We we saw this, you know, elements of this in his his play before, but or like you said, what was once a virtue has kind of made his, you know, essentially made a terribly miserable spell for him. Given that Manchester United aren't exactly blessed with attacking options right now and they've, they've let Lukaku go. Was this a wise move on their mm. part? Should they have tried I, to I rehabilitate him and get him back in the team and, and happy as whether that's uh, that, well, what he wants that to do might have been That might have been too difficult, but I mean, you could say they where United went wrong is um, not uh, buying a, a striker in in the summer, especially as they let Lukaku uh, go as well. I know Lukaku hasn't doesn't look like he's a title-winning standard player either. But um, and this is about a hundred million plus worth of yeah. footballers. So I mean, in, in in themselves, letting those two go based on their performances was was fine. But uh, you needed to to replace. Uh, them really you've got uh, Rashford uh, who often plays on the left and you could argue slightly better on the left but uh, Martial um, again <laughs> plays on the left as well sometimes um, and after those two um, there's Mason Greenwood who's only 17 and uh, you can't really be relying on him to score 15 or 20 goals uh, this season so so yeah United are for a, t- for a team uh, in the, among the big six to have they're very short on numbers in uh, for, for strikers really forwards stroke strikers so you know as I said letting Sanchez go in itself was okay but I mean you need you need somebody else to uh, to replace him and they didn't do that it was it was reported in the in the paper yesterday that um, there's been quite a spike in the number of, of English players playing in the Premier League. Uh, is that the only silver lining that, that players like Rashford and Mason Greenwood are well, going to have to get some, <laughs> some more opportunities, really? Or are we kind of uh, looking at straws there? <laughs> I think it's always, got to, it's always got to be a silver lining, right? Young players, English players as well, getting opportunities. It's great. I and mean, that's what we want to see. I think that's what fans want to see. And, and you hope, I think, because the current England setup 
I would suggest does quite well at nurturing young talent. You'd hope that that works really well, kind of in tandem and, you know, in conversation with one another. Um, but as Bill said, they can't be relied upon. It's, and I think the pressure that that then puts on, you know, essentially a teenager's shoulders, it's it's not natural and it's not necessarily how, you know, how these clubs should be operating. So, yes, silver lining, but long term, <laughs> great idea. Probably not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we need to... A lot needs to be looked at in in coming months about you know what that will look like. Okay, well the biggest game of the Premier League weekend is the North London derby between Arsenal and Tottenham at the Emirates on Sunday. Spurs were beaten at home by Newcastle last weekend. Henry Winter wrote this week about the need for the old Mauricio Pochettino to come back. Bill, what's up with uh, the Spurs coach? I think Paul Joyce last last episode compared compared him to Jose Mourinho. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit moody at the moment. Yes, yes, very grumpy. Um, I, I I think he's he's probably he may be just getting a touch disillusioned of, with how things are going at in his spell at Spurs. He joined in 2014, and then by 2016, he got to the stage where they had a a really decent chance of winning the league partly because the other big teams were having off seasons uh, but it, they uh, messed up and, and Leicester uh, won in and won the title uh, comfortably in the end so um, so two years ago it was, it was looking really promising for Pochettino he, he would have been confident of uh, winning the title with Tottenham in another couple of years uh, he had Real Madrid and Manchester United uh, he would have thought being uh, quite keen on him in the, the coming years, but but now it's uh, it's not looking so promising. I mean, he's 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 done brilliantly, you have to say, and he's turned Tottenham into a a force in Europe, the Champions League. They got to the final last season. They were they were very unlucky the season before to lose to Juventus. I mean, they've had a series of really good, strong performances against the top teams in Europe. So so he's done fantastically, but. But he uh, just get the the feeling he thinks no, we're not going to win the title, are we? I'm never going to win the title with Tottenham, and he needs to, and his reputation might might be dipping a bit, and it, you know it's quite natural if you'll start to uh, to moan a bit. Much, I mean, much of the the issues seem to be centered centered around transfers or potential transfers before the end of end of the window. And Daniel Levy's always been praised for his prudent running of the of the club. But it seems to be having a, a a bit of a disruptive effect on on players when you're uh, on the squad when you're kind of counting down the days to to transfer deadline day and yeah. and four or five of your players are are sort of agitating for a move or unhappy about not getting contract yeah. offers and, and things like that. So it's it's kind of putting a yeah. serious pressure on on Pochettino and and the squad itself. It is. It's a puts a dampener and he doesn't know the likes of Alderweireld and Ericsson are, seem like they're keen to, to go and Danny Rose has been unsettled for a while so you don't know whether to uh, just leave the players out um, and try and think for the future and, and sort of really weaken your team by leaving out the likes of Ericsson or, or bring them in and you're, you're not sure you've got players who are really kind of 100% Focused, so so yeah, that's 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 an extra issue for him as well. So uh, yes, it all all sort of it does make sense that he's he, he's not as cheerful as he he once was. Rebecca, do you think that there's a danger of the manager sort of negative vibes transmitting to the to the squad? 
absolutely. I think we've all seen enough of um, Jose Mourinho in the past to know that it's, it's a possible um, sort of transfer. I think also for me, if you look at managers who are sort of the opposite, very upbeat, very, yeah. you know, and clearly loving their job. I'm thinking often Klopp, um, Phil Neville over the summer when I was out in, in the World Cup in France. It's very similar. Pochettino usually. Pochettino <laughs> usually, yeah. The old the old. I mean, you saw him after the, after the winning uh, against Ajax. You're not going to see much more emotion than <laughs> a manager yeah. than that. And if you see how powerful that can be, like it's a natural conclusion to see how powerful the opposite can be. And I think particularly in this scenario, there's no, you know, the players are probably quite baffled, you know, that, and that I think is very dangerous because that starts to undermine their confidence in in the club, in the management, in, in all of these things. And if they don't quite understand why something's happened or they can't see clear reasons, you know, if this grand Pochettino, you know, he's sort of grandly disillusioned, that's a wonderful sort of philosophical thing to be. But if there's no sort of clear reason they can see for it, that's going to make them a little bit jumpy, a little bit unnerved, a little bit unsure about his situation, their situation. I just don't think it's it's a great atmosphere. And I think it's an atmosphere that could quite quickly have quite serious impact, basically. You know, it, it doesn't take much for that to spiral and become a sort of club-wide problem. So do you think that it's a matter of time before before he moves on or I mean there's been interest certainly reported interest in the past that seems to have quietened down a little bit because the clubs in question Real Madrid and Manchester United have managers <laughs> although we'll see how the seasons develop but both of those <laughs> Don't speak too um, but do we think that if, if one of those jobs is to become available again he might he might decide to jump ship this time uh, he, he might do but as you say um, yeah uh, whether another job job does come up uh, remains to be seen I don't think Tottenham wouldn't be uh, pushing him out certainly but um, but he's been there five this is his sixth season now so it's you know it's quite a long time he might be looking for a a new scenery uh, quite soon I mean uh, Klopp has talked about um, leaving Liverpool in 2022 after seven years you know he thinks that's a kind of a natural length of time and he'll probably need a rest then and which is he also had seven years at Mainz and seven years at Dortmund maybe Poch will decide uh, to go but yeah at at the moment he's especially perhaps the more he moans it it doesn't do him his image any good I have to say Okay, it's the final weekend of games before the international break so just wanted to ask who or what has impressed you most so far this season Rebecca I'll come to you I'm quite impressed by Liverpool. Um, I just think they're quite enjoyable to watch at the moment. Um, I think also in light of all this talk about you know Klopp saying maybe sabbatical on the horizon, I think some you know stuff like that then suddenly makes you realise what a manager brings to the game and, and to the coverage, and it makes our jobs you know interesting. So I think yeah, it's sort of I think he he would be missed were he to take that sabbatical. Um, and I, I enjoyed. I mean, I caught glimpses of the game last night. I was um, I was sat next to someone at a, at a dinner party who was watching it on their phone. But I thought that was just an impressive game. And I thought um, Iwobi in particular was just really just, so sharp, just link, link and nice Everton, to yeah. watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I yeah enjoyed I enjoyed um, watching him. Actually, I thought he was he really came through. Bill, um, I quite like the fact that in the Premier League so far, that only Watford have had a really poor start. Every team has won, aside from Wolves, I think, who've got three draws. So, so what, what you really don't want is um, two or three teams just dropping far adrift. So, so it's nice to see the uh, Sheffield United, Villa, and Norwich all getting a first one, and, and particularly Norwich, the style of play they've uh, shown as uh, real breath of fresh air 
fantastic to watch. Yeah, I was, I, I was going to say that as well. I think that the, the three promoted teams this year have, they all have a kind of identity and a, and a style of play that they've not been promoted and thought we're going to have to suddenly turn defensive. You know, they've stuck with that. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if the three of them stayed up. In fact, mm. I mean, I think Norwich might have issues defensively, but I think they score enough goals to certainly be competitive. Um, and Sheffield United, I think their home form could see them over the line. And I think they could, the same could be the same of Aston Villa. We saw the saw sort of raucous scenes after their their, mm. their victory against Everton and the, the whole end was vibrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So these are really difficult places to go. And I, I think that's been really, really impressive so far. And also, as I mentioned, the the sort of number of, of young English talent at some at some of the biggest clubs, Arsenal, of people like Joe Willock and um, Ashley Maitland-Niles, and uh, at Chelsea, obviously Mason Mount and, and Tammy Abram. So not not even just at the sort of the clubs with, out, out with the top six. Even some of the some of the biggest clubs um, are turning to young English players, which I think is is really encouraging. So finally, who who do we think really needs a needs a win this weekend? There's been Pochettino, Pochettino. <laughs> probably <laughs> might put a smile on his face um, <laughs> yeah I mean that's the game that everyone's watching I think and that will have the most impact in the immediate future I think in, in you know in the league um, I'm also I'm doing Palace Villa on Saturday so either of them just as long as I have to write a nil-nil draw then I'm happy because <laughs> that's always my worst nightmare <laughs> um, I think uh, Solskjaer will be uh, really keen for a win. United um, only four points from three games. They, they haven't played too badly actually. They've been a bit unlucky and um, quite a d- decent level of entertainment. Enjoyable to watch. But uh, if they don't win at Southampton uh, on Saturday, then uh, I think it, it might be get a bit difficult for him to play down the kind of feeling of negativity that uh, which would probably arise around Old Trafford. Okay, well, be interesting to watch. That's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Matt Dickinson, Rebecca Myers and Bill Edgar. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday. Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.